0: Well, once again, a very good evening to each and every one of you. can invite you now to stand as we receive the Gospel reading, as we come into the time of the ministry of the Word. The Gospel reading for this evening can be found on the 14th chapter according to the Gospel of St. John. Glory to Christ, our Saviour. John's Gospel, chapter 14, reading from verses 1 to verse 6. Verse 5, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is the gospel of Christ. Praise to Christ our Lord. Shall we bow our heads as we commit this time to the Lord in prayer? So Father, once again, we thank you that indeed, You are the way, the truth, and the life. And Lord, indeed, we are grateful that we are able to come into our presence to listen to your word, and we pray that this evening, that as we receive what you have for us, may your Holy Spirit continue to guide our minds, our thoughts, our thinking, that what we do may be glorifying to your name. So we give you thanks as we commit this time to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. (coughs) Church, will you please be seated? I cannot tell a lie. This statement sounds familiar perhaps to some of us. Well, if it sounds familiar, it's simply because this is a signature line from America's first president when asked as a boy if he had chopped down his father's cherry tree. Now, George Washington told the truth, even if it got him in trouble. Now, that seems to be the moral of the story, that Washington was a great leader because he would not lie, and so because of this, all leaders should be honest as he was. But here's the thing. The story about Washington chopping down his father's tree was a total lie. There was never such a thing that happened. And as for the notion that good leaders are honest and they don't tell a lie, well, let me just say that this is also An illusion. You see, American history down the years have shown that that their presidents are not being very truthful. While preparing the country in the participation for World War II, Franklin Roosevelt assured the American public, he says this: your boys are not going to be sent into any foreign wars. But we know what happened. John Kennedy declared in 1961. I have previously stated, and I repeat now, that the United States planned no military intervention in Cuba. But all the while, there was a detailed plan for a secret invasion. Then in 1996, 1986, rather, Ronald Reagan told the American people concerning an Iranian crisis. He says, we did not, I repeat, did not trade weapons or anything else for hostages, nor will be. And yet, four years later, he admitted that the U.S. had actually done what he had denied. And so the list goes on and on. And you know, even back home in our tiny nation, we find that our politicians are also guilty of lying. Flashback to last year in 3rd August 2021, we have Workers' Party, Minister of Parliament, Risha Khan, she claimed, as we all know the story, claimed to accompany a rape victim in a constituency to the police station to file a report. However, upon investigation, it was discovered that she never did. She lied in a statement. And it's so interestingly that just yesterday, as a result of the consequence of the lying, she was slapped with a hefty $35,000 fine. So you find that from all these examples, it shouldn't come as a surprise to us that people, that you and I, and especially leaders, we do tell lies. And they include presidents, CEOs of big companies, as well as the men of God. They lie to hide the truth. They lie to hide certain facts. They lie because they don't want to be embarrassed, or they lie simply to cover up a sin. And today continuing in in our study on the life of David, we have this exact episode where we have David as a leader while running away to save his life, he was found guilty of lying. But the question for us that we want to tackle this evening is simply this. Is it justifiable for any leader, in our case a spiritual leader, or maybe Not if you're not a leader for any Christian, to concord a lie when it seems necessary to save your own skin or for one particular cause. And to answer to this rather complex question, we need to first understand David's reason for lying. What then was his reason or his reasons to do so? Well, to determine this requires us to trace back to the events thus far. And we find that how fast The tide has turned for young David. From being Israel's champion in defeating the giant Goliath, we find that David is now a fugitive. From becoming the main man, someone who was well-loved and receiving praises from the people and even by Saul's own household, David is now the scourge of the king who wanted him to be removed. And we can see the following events that occurred in chapter 19, in summary, we find in verse 10 of chapter 19 that Saul tried to spear David while he was playing the harp, and yet David managed to escape. And then in verse 11, Saul ordered his man to kill David as he slept, but it was his wife Michal that helped him to escape. And then if you read from verse 19 onwards, you find that Samuel even hit David and God protected him from Saul's soldiers Saul's soldiers three times with a trance. So apparently, it seems that David didn't seem to be safe anywhere anymore. Whether it was in the palace, whether it was in his home, whether with Saul's children, or even in the presence of God's holy prophet. He was not safe. This brings us then to the passage in Samuel 21. Uh, the passage that we want to look for uh, into today as we pick up the story. So if you have your Bibles, I <coughs> can invite you to now look with me to 1 Samuel 21. I'm going to read the whole passage from verse 1 to verse 15. 1 Samuel 21 <coughs> and verse 1. We are told that David came to Nob to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech came to meet David trembling and said to him, Why are you alone and no one with you? And David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has charged me with a matter and said to me, Let no one know anything of the matter about which I send you and with which I have charged you. For I have made an appointment with the young man for such and such a place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever is there. And the priest priest answered David, I have no common bread on hand, but that is holy bread, if the young men have kept themselves from women. And David answered the priest, Truly, women have been kept from us as always when I go on an expedition. The vessels of the young men are holy, even when it is an ordinary journey. How much more today will the vessels be holy? So the priest gave him the holy bread, for there was no bread there but the bread of the presence, which is removed from before the Lord to be replaced by hot bread on the day it is taken away. Verse 7, Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord. His name was Doak, the Edomite, the chief of Saul's herdsmen. Then David said to Ahimelech, Then what? Then have, you, then have you not here a spear of was sword at hand? For I brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. And the priest said, The sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you struck down in the valley of Elah, behold, it is here wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it, for there is none but that here. And David said, There is none like that. Give it to me. Verse 10, And David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of God. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is not this David the king of the land? And did, not, and did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of God. So he changed his behaviour before them and pretended to be insane in their hands, and make marks on the doors of the gates, and let his spittle run down his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see the man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I like madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? So you find that David's life was in grave danger, and because his life was in great danger, Saul wanted to kill him. David fled to Nob, to the priest, to Ahimelech, the priest, and this marked the beginning of an exile that lasted for David for about ten very long years. Now, this surprise visit of David, as you have read in the passage, kind of prompted this a rather innocent question which Ahimelech asked David. Why are you alone and no one is with you? Now notice that the moment Ahimelech asked this question, this ultimately led David to the first of a series of blatant lies. And what concerns us is how truthful should David have been? Surely, after all, we know that David, we are told that David was a man after God's own heart. And if this was true, surely he would know that God forbid his people from telling lies. Surely David would know the Old Testament law in Exodus 20 verse 16 that commands this, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. In short, do not lie. We only need to look to the beginning of creation to see the ramification of lying in Genesis chapter 3, where we are told that Satan, in the form of a talking serpent, lied to both Adam and Eve, hence leading them to the first sin. And in turn, this resulted in Adam and Eve lying to God, causing them to be thrown out of the garden. And so as the saying goes, which is very true, once you tell a lie, it will lead to more lies. And so this is why we find God is so against this act of us being untruthful. Because once again, if you do listen to the gospel passage that I've read in John chapter 14, verse 6, we are told that this God that we worship is the God of truth. But coming back to our question then, we find that here then was David's shocking answer to Ahimelech's question as read in the next verse. David said to the priest, The king has charged me with a matter and said to me, Let no one know anything of the matter about which I sent you and with which I have charged you. I have made an appointment with the young man for such and such a place. Now notice in this answer of David to Ahimelech, there were two clear lies. And it seems that David was being untruthful and his untruthfulness is becoming a regular habit for him. Because if you recall, he had already lied to the king via Jonathan for not attending the festival of the new moon in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 5 to 7. And then later on you will read in verse 13 that he was such a good actor for being truthful, for being untru- uh, for, for, for not being truthful to Achish, the king of Gad, regarding his behavior and pretending to be insane. What an ironic picture, isn't it? David lied. Why? Because he was now no longer the man trusting in God to save him. Let me say again: David lied because he was now no longer the man. Trusting in God to save him. You see, David's thought was only on saving himself. And he was willing to use every means available, including lying, to do so. Hence, we can conclude that lying is a sign of our lack of trust in God. But crucially, let's pick up now the consequences of David's lie. Now make no mistake. Our sins will always find us out. And for David, you find that the consequence of his lies led to the following catastrophic results. First and foremost, going back to chapter 20, verse 33, when he told Jonathan to lie for him, this almost resulted in his best friend, in his good friend, almost being disowned and even killed by his own father. David pushed Jonathan into a compromising situation By fabricating a false story And then you urging him to use it To test Saul And Jonathan with such strong bond That he had with David Agreed to this And it only resulted in a deeper wedge Between the father and son And then we have this incident here in Nob And as I stated There were two lies In what David told Ahimelech Firstly The king did not charge David with any assignment. And secondly, David did not arrange to meet any of of his men. And so we find that the second consequence of lying is simply this. That once you lie, you will always tell another lie to cover up the first lie. You see, in his hurry, he was without weapon. And so David requested for one one weapon to which Ahimelech offered Goliath's sword which was kept under his custody. In his lives, we see no more of the shepherd boy, armed with the confidence of God, fearlessly facing the, the, the giant. Instead, what we have now is a warrior trusting in Goliath's sword, a sign of worldly power. So fear, fabrication, and feeling for his life, this seems to be the pattern for David nowadays. And this was the second result. He resorted lie. And it got worse because we find that if David's lie here was to protect Ahimelech from Saul's future investigation, he was dead wrong. For the plan failed. As we were soon, as we have heard, the king had all the priests of Noah killed. Why was this so? Because of what happened in verse 7. Because we are told that Doeg, the Edomite, who was one of Saul's chief herds. Hertzman happened to be there, and upon seeing Ahimelech providing for the enemy, he began to spilt the beans by informing the king of what had happened. So these were the three results of David's lie. We come now, and we consider the reaction of David to all the lies, as we now unpack one Samuel chapter twenty-two. And credit to David, we find that David was. Remorseful. According to verse 20 of 1 Samuel chapter 22, when King Saul slaughtered all of Ahimelech's son, apparently only one of his sons managed to escape the sword. And he quickly went to David to bring about the sad news. And the moment David received the sad news, realizing that he was guilty of lying of, the, of what he has done, we are told that it sobered him on the spot, and without hesitation, David... Admitted his guilt You find in verse 22 He professed these words He says I knew on that day When Doeg the Edomite was there That he would surely tell Saul I have occasioned the death Of all the persons of your father's house So David was remorseful He didn't try to cover up his lie. He admitted that he made the mistake And you find that David's remorse Can also be seen in the Psalms That he wrote in Psalm 52, verse 1 to 5, which was written in this particular incident, we are told here that he condemned Doak and himself when he pans down these words. He says, Why do you boast of evil, O mighty man? The steadfast love of God endures all day. Your tongue plots destruction like a sharp razor, you worker of deceit. You love evil more than good, and lying more than speaking what is right. You love all words that devour, O deceitful tongue, but God will break you down forever. He will snatch and tear you from your tent, He will up you from the land of the living. And yet, in another psalm, still burning with remorse over his cowardly humiliation when he feigned madness in front of King Achish, David once again took his up and sang these words in Psalm 34, verse 11. To fourteen, He says this, Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and love many days, that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. So we find that David was remorseful when he realized the sin that he has committed. When he realized that he lied. And in his remorse, he admitted his fault. He turned to the Lord and he repented and he confessed. And because we have a God who is forever gracious and ever willing to forgive, rest assured that we too can turn to him and receive pardon from our lies. But here's the thing. We can only receive this forgiveness. Only when we are remorseful and repentant like David was. And as we conclude, here's an interesting thought that I want us to reflect on. Talking so much about lying, the consequence of lying, the interesting thought that I want us to reflect is simply this. How do we wrestle now with the fact that we have in Joshua chapter 2 in the account of Rahab the harlot, who hid two Israelite spies, lied about it, and yet was spared by God. How about Brother Andrew? Next slide, please. The missionary who smuggled Bibles into the communist country, and he lied to bother security about it. Or what about the Canboon household? who hid Jewish families from the threat of the Nazis during World War II. And then when you contrast all these to Acts chapter (coughs) 5, where we have the story of Ananias and Sapphira, where they lied about the amount given over the sale of a piece of land. Whereas this three example, nothing bad happened to them. But Ananias and Sapphira, if you read in Acts, they lied about what the amount of money, and they were subsequently struck down by God, and they died. On the spot. Think about this for a moment. How can we come to a conclusion? Is God practicing a double standard here? Does this for us as Christians mean that we can, you know, ignore this mandate of lying or take it very lightly? Well, I want to propose to you this thinking. In theory, Lies basically falls into two categories Forgiving lies and unforgiving lies Now we can debate over this But basically, forgivable lies are those lies That meant to keep us from harm That is to say, we tell a lie Because we may be fearful of something bad That may happen to us So in this case, the lies that was told by Rahab By Brother Andrew and the Ten Boons Well, they fall under this category. They lie for a common good. <coughs> Unforgivable lies, on the other hand, are lies that hide a sin. People lie to cover up a crime or put, or in some cases to protect a politician's future. They lie <coughs> and these people lie includes people like Adam and Eve, people like Ananias and Sapphira. This is one possible theory that we can conclude. But the truth of the matter is, we have no real answer to this question. Why is it that some people lie, God doesn't do anything, but when some people lie, something serious happened to them? We have no real answer except for the fact that God's ways are not our ways. Isaiah 55 verse 8 to 9 says that his thoughts are not our thoughts. So we cannot comprehend what God wants to do. But the reality is that even though there may be cases where lies are told and nothing happened to these people, listen, this doesn't give us the license to do so. Telling lies should never be a habit for us as Christians and more so for leaders. And it's something that we shouldn't be practicing at all. And as already established, (laughs) like any fallen human beings, leaders, we do tell lies. And if we say you haven't told a lie before, then you have already done so, because we all are guilty of this. But I want to leave us with another important reflection. What then, when happens when we as leaders, we lie? And also, what happens, what should we do when we know of our leaders who happen to admit that they have done wrong, they have not been truthful, what should our reaction be? You know, recently... (coughs) I encountered this situation with my two older children when I told them an insignificant lie. Yes, pastors also do lie, all right? I accidentally told them a lie. And then on reflection, I realized that, hmm, this was a bad example for me to show to my children, especially as a father and as a pastor. And I felt that, you know, if they come to know about this, this would kind of strain the relationship. And so then to answer the question, If you, as a leader, when you lie, our response, therefore, should be this. We should learn to follow the example of David. To confess it, to admit it, and to tell them that I lied. And friends, let me tell you that it is difficult. Can you imagine when I came up to my two children and told them, Hey, Gabriel, Bethany, I'm sorry, Dad told this lie to you. It's quite humiliating. But I think it's important, it may be difficult, but it is worth it. So what do we do if we are leaders? We lie, <coughs> admit, confess, and repent. And so the second question, what should we do when we, when we hear that our leaders tell us, hey, you know, Sinket, I'm sorry, I accidentally told a lie. What should we do? Well, as the Bible teaches us, we should learn to forgive as God has forgiven us. It is unwise for us to hold on to the grudge, and it is wise for us to move on. The bottom line is simply this. As leaders, we must all be willing to tell the truth, always. The reality is that when we fail to do so, there will be serious consequences, as revealed in this narrative concerning David's situation. In closing, I want to leave you with this conundrum. If it is so important for us as leaders, as Christians, to tell a lie, yet you find that here is a conundrum. You know, I started earlier with the sermon by mentioning a few American presidents, and I'll end with one more. If you think a leader should always be honest, consider the faith, the fate of this next president. Here was a man who vowed during his presidential campaign that he would never lie to the nation. He was a man who brought peace to the Middle East and he even taught in the Sunday school. He won the Nobel Peace Prize after leaving office and he has been widely praised for his humanitarian efforts around the world. He built homes for the poor all over the globe. Anyone want to guess who he is? The older ones, probably you may hazard a guess. Which president won the Nobel Peace Prize? Well, the answer is this. The president was... The president was... Sleeping. Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter. But get this. Although he did all those things, yet no one one labelled him a liar when he was in office. But yet at the same time, Nobody remembers Jimmy Carter as a great American president. Sad, isn't it? He was a truthful, honest man. He did all those good things, but yet he was never remembered as a great president. And that's the conundrum for us today. But nevertheless, as an ending, I want to leave you with a few verses that, as Christians, is to encourage us that we need to be people of the truth. Proverbs 12, verse 15 says, A lie has a short life, but truth lives on forever. Proverbs 12, verse 19 says, Truthful lips endures forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. And then 1 Peter 3, verse 10. Peter writes, he says, Whoever wants to enjoy life and wishes to see good times must keep from speaking evil and stop telling lies. So church, let us be a church of leaders of Christians who always tell the truth. I close with this response song. And as you listen to the song, may the words of the song kind of resonate in us because it is basically um, exactly what we need to do to live as people of the truth.
1: Lie number one, you're supposed to have it all together And when they ask how you're doing, just smile and tell them, never better Lie number two, everybody's life is perfect except yours So keep your messes and your wounds and your secrets safe with you behind closed doors truth be told, the truth is rarely told, I say I'm fine, yeah I'm fine, oh I'm fine, hey I'm fine, but I'm not, I'm broken, and when it's out of control I say it's under control, but it's not, and you know it, I don't know why it's so hard to admit it, when being honest is the only way to fix it There's no failure, no fault, there's no sin you don't already know So let the truth be told There's a sign on the door that says come as you are, but I doubt it If we lived like that was true Every Sunday morning pew would be crowded But didn't you say church should look more like a hospital A safe place for the sick The sinner and the scarred And the prodigal's like me Will truth be told The truth is rarely told Am I the only one who says, I'm fine, yeah, I'm fine, oh, I'm fine, yeah, I'm fine, but I'm not, I'm broken, and when it's out of control, I say it's under control, but it's not, and you know it, I don't know why it's so hard to admit it, when being honest is the only way to fix it, there's no failure, no fault. truth be told